0: Um, listen, we are in 2 Samuel 9. 2 Samuel 9. Let me just kind of catch you up to speed with where we're at, what we're doing. We made our way through the book of 1 Samuel. It was primarily focusing on um, really Saul being king and not the king that the people really wanted. He failed in so many ways. And there's some battles between Saul and David, essentially. 2 Samuel is focusing now, David is anointed king. He is the ruling and reigning king. So we saw in 1 Samuel, it was King Saul. Saul dies in 1 Samuel 31. The new book, 2 Samuel, but it's really one book, one scroll. But 2 Samuel picks up with the idea of now David as the anointed king over all of Israel. That all the tribes are essentially working together now. They're all under David. He's the king. First order of business we saw in chapter 6. He's like, we need to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. We need it to be back at the center of its people. And it's a beautiful desire. Uh, And then that last week, we looked at the idea of David going, I want to build God a house, not just, I don't want just the ark. I want all of it. I don't want there to be a tabernacle. I want there to be a house. And we see God say, David, that's beautiful. But no, no, you're not going to build me a house. However, I'm going to build you a house. And he talks about really how basically Solomon, David's son, will build him the temple. But primarily the house that we built through David is this a kingdom that will be established forever. It was the Davidic covenant. It's this idea that Jesus would come. He would be the son of David. His house would be established forever. There'd be a king that would rule and reign forever from David. And his name is Jesus. So that was last week. Chapter 8, just so you're kind of aware, there's some battles. David wins all of them. It's great. Now here we are in chapter 9. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 is this it's the story of Mephibosheth. Everyone say with me, Mephibosheth. Ready? Mephibosheth. So if I mess up, now you can be gracious to me. One more time, Mephibosheth. I might call him fib, I'd have no idea. I'm just going to try to like, it's just long. Uh, Believe it or not, I've been called every Bible name there is. I have been called Mephibosheth. Uh, Someone's like, hey, Mephibosheth. I'm like, you're not even trying. My name is Josiah. Um, But I truly have been called that name. Um, They just assume if you have a Bible name, you're all of the names, I guess. I don't know. But, um, this story amazes me. If you're familiar with it, it is probably one of the greatest pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament. It is how can I bless a lame, fugitive enemy of mine uh, just lavishly? How can I just pour out favor and kindness and goodness on someone who doesn't deserve it? How can I just bless someone who would consider me an enemy? And it is, un- it is life-changing love. And that is the title today, just Life-Changing Love. A love that is just, when you've experienced it, it just changes everything. David's like, I'm going to show this guy some love. And he does not expect it. He does not deserve it necessarily. But I'm going to pour out favor and grace and kindness and goodness. And it just changes Mephibosheth's life. And it is so beautiful. Um, Here's what I love about David. When you really study the life of David, at David's finest moments, he's such a beautiful example of Jesus. Jesus. I mean, obviously, David in so many ways typifies Jesus. His kingdom has no end. David at his best moments is an example of Jesus. David at his worst moments shows us our need for Jesus. And we're going to see that next week when he commits adultery and murder and everything. Um, But here's what I love about David. David, again, at his best, you just go, oh, that's the gospel. And then David at his worst, you go, oh, I need the gospel. And uh, we're going to look at the life of David in this way. So I'm just excited to be in 2 Samuel because we get to see just these highs, these lows. And, and here is like a high. Here is, I love this because think about this. We just went over this. But the idea was David's like, I'm going to bless God. I'm bringing the ark. I'm building the house. And now David is going to, I'm going to bless others. So he blesses God and he's blessing others. He's loving God. I'm building a temple. I'm bringing the ark. I want to do this for you, God. He's loving God. And now he's loving others. And this is just an example, of, again, of the gospel. How do I love God supremely? And how do I love his people? How do I love his, his or mine enemies? How do I love those who are far from me? This is just such a beautiful picture of the gospel. So we're actually gonna do this. It's only 13 verses. Um, I might end early. Can you believe it? You don't believe me? I don't believe myself either, but I might. And, and we have Serve Sunday. That's why I'm like, I wanna kind of get you guys to hang out and mingle. and Yeah, so we're gonna read this all the way through. It's 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse one through 13. I think it's better if we just read it in one sitting and then we'll work our way through it. Second Samuel chapter 9, let's read it, then we'll pray. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse one. Here's what it says. David said, Is there still anyone, anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to, to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, uh, of Makir, the son of Ameliel at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Makir, the son of Ameliel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, and he fell on his face and paid homage and David said Mephibosheth and he answered behold I am your servant and David said to him do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father and you shall eat at my table always and he paid homage and said what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your, and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, for Mephibosheth, and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, you know what? He shall always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son, whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth, someone said to me yesterday, say that five times fast. I'm trying, I'm trying. So Mephibosheth Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate, listen, he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. <laughs> let's pray. I just love the ending. He always at the king's table, but he's still lame. Um, <laughs> that's us. Let's, uh, let's pray and go to the Lord. Father, we just want to say thank you. It really is amazing how just throughout your word, you're trying to show us how your kindness surpasses anything we deserve. Your goodness, your love, your mercy, goes far beyond what we can imagine. And uh, God, we hope we can just look at this story, see you, Jesus, that we can reflect this kind of love to others, that yes, we could, we could do it, but one that just first and foremost, we could experience it. God, I just, I just ask that if anyone has not experienced this love from you, not realized, not hit him yet, that they are called a son, as many as believe and receive him. They are called sons. And uh, Lord, I just ask that um, this would hit us today. That Let it just truly hit us. Let us realize this, God, that you invite us to sit at your table, to eat always before you in your presence. It is unbelievable. Um, Lord, I just ask that you would be seen, you'd be lifted up, you'd be glorified, that in the, in the confusion or in the details, that you would just be seen in a profound and beautiful way. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this type of like love or this type of you are down here and I'm going to bring you up here. I don't know if you've ever had someone kind of show you favor and you're like, I can't believe you're doing this for me. I can't believe you're showing me this or bringing me into this. I can't believe I who's on the outside am now on the inside. I don't know if you've ever kind of had one of those moments where you're like, maybe you're like in a, a, a situation where you're like, I don't know if I belong here. Like, I don't know if I fit here. I'm not sure if I'm ready, if, I'm, if I should be sitting at this table in a sense because someone showed you love and lifted you up. You know, I think there's been a few moments in my life where I'm like, how did I get here? Like, how did I get in the, I don't, this, I don't belong here. Like I don't fit in here. And like someone showed me kindness or goodness or invited me somewhere and you're going, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. I think one of the, the moments of this for me that just hits me when I was 18, my friend, Matt James was turning 18. I love two first names, Matt James. Um, he was turning 18 and for his 18th birthday, He somehow got in his mom through, I don't know, a relationship, got allowed to eat at this place called Club 33. I don't know if you've heard of Club 33. Club 33, let me just explain it. This is like a secret dining experience at Disneyland. Club 33 is like, I don't know. I had to do some research because I don't think I I realized what I was invited into. Club 33 is like the, it's like for the 1% of the 1%. It's like a $25,000 initiation fee from my understanding and a minimum of $10,000 to $25,000 a year to renew that. It's like 50 grand. It, essentially, you're paying 50 grand your first year to be part, part of Club 33. Now, from my understanding, it's a 15-year waiting list right now. 15 years. And you're like, what? People will pay that? Yeah, people are crazy. I don't know. People pay that. Businesses will pay that. They're like corporation things. So for his 18th birthday, he got invited to Club 33. And he, now, I was one of his friends, but I didn't know. Like, I'm like, I don't I, – he could take like, four people. He took me and Kimber and, like, two other friends. It's unbelievable. Um, it's one of those things where, like, I'm 18, dressed like a hobo. I don't know. I'm just like, I should not be there. And it's like hey, come. Join us, we're gonna walk in. You like go you walk through like Disney and like I think it's in the um like the bayou area, the the New Orleans area, and there's like a little thirty three on a door and I I walk by this door, I mean Growing up in Southern California, we had passes. We we went all the time. Never noticed this little 33. We walked by and we're like, oh, that 33, like press the secret button. I don't know. So we get let in, right? And I I don't know if you have pictures, but we get right in. Club 33, you're hit with like, it's just very elegant. This like old school, you know, I don't know, operated like elevator thing. Um, You walk in, you you see the dining experience. I've never felt more out of place than like at this moment. Like eight-year-old goofball Josiah, crazy hair, terrible clothes. Walk in and like everyone looks at you like you don't belong here. And I didn't. Like we didn't belong there. It was one of those moments where you're like, I don't know, how how did we end up here? And I still don't know. Unbelievable. And the food, the food. I mean, it was the greatest food I think we've ever had. Like minimum $100, which again, $100 when you're 18 is like a million dollars. I don't know. But they covered it. It was paid for. We get in for free. The food is free. Everyone's looking at you like, you don't belong here. And you're like, I know, but I'm going to enjoy every second. The bathroom was the nicest thing I've ever seen. You know, like one of those things, like the bathroom's nicer than any room I've ever been in. It was just one of those kind of places. And it was was amazing to think like, hey, you had all these people you could have chose from. Like you chose us? I remember thinking like, I'm forever in your debt, Matt James. I don't know. It was one of those feelings. Like we just do not belong here. And I can't imagine, like, when you've experienced that type of, like, favor or love or, like, you've been elevated to a place, it does something. And I'll say this. Mephibosheth, what he experienced was a million times more than Club 33. I don't know. I just had to bring that up. A million times more. My point of this is he would never imagine him being in this room, in this palace, next to David, eating a meal with him continually, as it says. I mean, I can't fathom that type of love where you go, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be here. I don't, I don't belong here. I, I don't deserve this kindness. Why me? Why would you love me this way? Why would you show me this kind of favor? I mean, this is truly life-changing love. And I want us to see it in that way. There's something about the goodness and kindness of God where if you've really tasted and seen it, you go, I don't, why me? And there's really not the great answers because God loves you. <laughs> the answer like, is like, yeah, good question. Why you? Why me? It does not make sense. But there is some kind of ideas laid in here for Jonathan's sake. There are some things I want us to see here about this life-changing love, this love that makes no sense, this love that is lavished upon us, and it's freely given, and we freely receive, and you've been invited to this table, and have you received that? Have you entered into that? Have you experienced that? You can. You should. You, it's, it's there. The ticket's there. It's like, come on, but you have to receive it. You have to enter into it. You have to ring the bell. You have to go. Okay, Yes. So I want to look at just kind of, as we walk through this, it's weird. These are 13 verses, and it's hard. You don't want, like, how do you break up? Sometimes points get in the way. Maybe this will get in the way. I have no idea. But we're going to look at it like this. Um, we're going to see, first of all, we're going to see the principle that this love communicates, the pattern that this love shows, and then we're just going to lastly to see this portrait of this love, like what this is reflecting. So principle, pattern, portrait. Um, but we'll just walk through this text. Verse 1. We see really a principle uh, of love that I want us, us to see. If you miss it, we can read it and slow down. So let's read uh, First, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, uh, I'll just pick up. David asks this question. Is there still anyone who is less left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? All right, so David, it's random. He's king, he's ruling, everything's going for him, he's winning battles, all the tribes are under him, things are going good, and David's like, I just don't want this, I, I, I need to show this love. I, I've received it freely, now I need, fr- I need to freely give it. Who can I bless? Who can I show love to? He's like, is there anyone? Is anyone left? Is anyone left of the house of Saul? Now, don't forget, Saul hated David. Saul's David's father in law, but Saul hated David. He was jealous of David. He tried to kill David multiple times, over and over and over again. And David's like, I need to show love to my enemy son. I need to show love to this guy. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Now, we're going to find out that guy is Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth, actually, in his name, there's actually a lot of shame involved. Remember, you remember the name Ishbosheth? That name also, like the sh- Bosheth, kind of implies just shame. Uh, Mephibosheth's name, actually, you can read this, First Chronicles 940, we'll put it up here. His, his name. it says, The son of Jonathan was Merib Baal. You'll see this in the Chronicles a lot, but a lot of times there's names mentioned with like the first half of the name and Baal because that was the God that they worship in that day and time. So the idea was they had some sort of first name and then like Baal at the, attached. You'll see that a lot in the Chronicles. If you notice that, it's the same person, Mephibosheth, uh, Merib, Baal, same person, the son of Jonathan. But even in that name, Baal, there's like, oh, we're gonna steer away from that. But he got the name Mephibosheth, which is just as shameful. It's like a, a, a link to shame. Your, your, your name is linked to shame he's lame, he's crippled, his name is linked to shame. You have to understand that obviously in this time period, if you're suffering in any way, if you're kind of going through it in any way, they kind of associate it with like, oh, you must be suffering or you must be having a t- difficult life because there's probably sin in your life or your parents' life, right? That was John chapter nine. Remember they see the blind man and the disciples ask Jesus, why is he blind? His sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus like, Neither. Like, what are you talking about? Like, Jesus, like, redefines that, but there, there was that kind of idea or stereotype that if your life was going poorly, it's probably because there's something, there's something wrong with you. So here's, like, this guy, Mephibosheth, lame in both of his feet, a crippled. Something's wrong with this guy in their mind. This guy probably deserves this in many people's minds. Now, here's the thing. There's actually a backstory to Mephibosheth. It's in 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. We'll put the verse up here, but it's a simple story. Uh, it's actually when Jonathan, or yeah, when Jonathan and Saul died. So his father, Jonathan, and his grandpa, Saul, when they died on Mount Gilboa, it says that one of the servant girls, like, she was afraid. Like, oh, no, his dad and his grandpa's dead. They're coming for him. I mean, he's an heir. They're coming from Mephibosheth. She got freaked out. David might be coming for his kids. And she picks him up to run, to hide, to flee. She's like, he might be coming here next. So she picks him up as she's running, she trips, she falls, he falls, uh, and he becomes a crippled, it says. 2 Samuel 4 4. This guy's life, Four, five years old, becomes a cripple. And I think, well, people again back then, maybe he deserved it. There's shame in that name. There's a lot associated with that. And you gotta understand, from this point on, Mephibosheth was a fugitive of David. It's almost like this guy's coming for you in his mind. He's not really. But stay away from David. I mean, think about this. This was very common. Back in that day, if there was a previous king or kingdom and then a new king takes power, what do they do? I'm going to wipe out all of their people. I'm going to wipe out all of their servants. I'm going to wipe out everyone. Their family members. I mean, no one's safe. That's their thought. Like, you're not safe. Mephibosheth, David is after you. David is coming for you. And you better run. You better flee. You better hide. This is your enemy. You can't imagine maybe even the bitterness that Mephibosheth might have towards David or misunderstand. Like, he's probably been indoctrinated since a young age. This guy, David's not good. This guy, David, wants to hurt you. Probably from a young age, he's had bitterness towards David, frustration towards David. And it's really painting this picture, obviously. And moving on, you know, with that, David's desire, though, is a, is a beautiful thing. Was, but is there anyone I can bless? This is so foreign. You know, this kind of love that we're looking at, it's a foreign type of love. You know, the, the, you know that the, 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 the way the Bible portrays love is obviously incredibly different than the way the world talks about love. You know, Jesus even said this. He goes, what is it to you that you love those who love you? The heathens do that, Jesus says. Everyone can love those who love you. But can you love those who hate you? By this, all will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Can you not just love those who love you? You know, big deal. But do you love those who hate you? Do you love those who are bitter, despise you? And we really see like this foreign type of love even in David. I'm going to love the son, the grandson, of someone who tried to take me out multiple times. Maybe, I don't know if I don't know if he has any other heirs that might want to take me out still. But I'm just going to show him, is there anyone I can show kindness to? Now, if you would circle that word kindness in 2 Samuel 9, it's a beautiful word. He says it three times. Look it down, verse one, verse three, I believe, or seven. He says this word kindness, kindness. Um, it's this Hebrew word, maybe you've heard it, it's like chesed. Now, this word chesed just means covenantal love. It means steadfast love. If you see this a lot in the Psalms, because you're steadfast love, In the Hebrew, it's hesed, hesed. It's a beautiful type of love. It's a love that talks about like loving kindness. Depending on the context, it might be used in a covenantal way or maybe talking about this like this lavish kind of love, like this kind love. It's weird because when I think about kindness, I think I have maybe like a small view of kindness. Like if someone's kind to you, like they're so kind. Why are they kind? They got me some coffee. You're like, oh, like, listen, that's very kind. I love coffee. That's great. But I think when we, we see in scriptures, this kindness is, it's just deep. It's rich it's I'm gonna love you without reason. There's no reason. I'm gonna show favor on you without reason. There's nothing motivating this, I'm gonna love you. It's, we live in such a consumer-based time period where it's like, you scratch my back, I scratch your back. I do this for you, now you do this for me. And we kind of expect that of others. Well, I've done three things for you. We keep lists of our love. I've done three things, what have you done for me, huh? And the idea is so often is we have a very base, a consumer type of love and this is a, not a consumer love, this is a covenantial love. It's like, hey, it doesn't, doesn't matter. I'm just gonna. doesn't matter what Mephibosheth says about me. doesn't matter if he wants to kill me. David doesn't know anything. Again, he knows nothing about him. For all David knows, this guy wants to kill him. For all he knows, this guy wants the throne. And David's like, I'm going to show him love. Who can I show this love? This love, and he says in verse 3, right? He says this love of God towards him. I, not just my, I want, I want him to experience God's love through this act. He needs to experience this. This is, again, such a different, said is such a different type of love. And this is the love that we've been invited into. This is the love of the old and new covenant. That this hasn't changed. This has said this idea of, I'm going to love you regardless. I want to enter into a covenantal love, not a consumer love. This is such a beautiful thing that David is offering freely to someone who, in, in a sense, should be his enemy. And David's like, how can I show hesed? said on him three times. You know, maybe you've heard about the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. You have the commandments, and then the idea is like, okay, uh, whether it's the Sabbath or whether it's, you know, whatever it might be, the idea of not coveting, you're reading the, the, the commandments, and it's like, what does this mean? What does this look like? How do we do this? There's the letter of the law, but then there's the spirit of the law. And what's the point of the spirit of the law? It's Hesed, it's this idea of like just love. This, God's like, I'm not trying to give you commandments and a list of things to do and not do because I don't love you, because I'm trying to steal joy. But I want you to know that the, this speaks of a greater thing. Like, I love you. And I know that if you go down this path of breaking these commands, it's going to make you miserable, others miserable. It's going to hurt your life, other people's lives. This is not like letter of the law. This is spirit of the law. This is, I want you to experience this kind of unique love, this covenantial love. And it's crazy that, again, David is offering this to essentially his enemy. This obviously points to God's love for us. You know, I don't know if I always attach the gospel to kindness, but I I, want to start seeing it that way. Titus chapter 3. Listen to this verse. It's powerful. Titus 3 verse 4. He says, But when the—just say kindness. But when the—and the love of God. The kindness and the love of God. This is the chesed. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I love this. He's like, not by works of righteousness you've been saved, but when the kindness and the love of God appeared toward us. You know, this is just God initiating this is God saying, I, I'm going sh- to show you what kindness looks like. I'm going to show you the love of God because of his mercy. It, that word, again, is just, it's used every way. Chesed is used as mercy, love of God, kindness. It's used in the Hebrew in so many different contexts. I'm showing you this love not because you deserve it, but because I am a, just a God who loves. I'm going to initiate. He just pours out. Again, David in verse 1, verse 3, he goes, who can I show this? I want to show kindness to someone. Ziba, tell me, is there anyone left at the house of Saul? And he's like, yeah, there is. There's a cripple, Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. Now I want you to catch something profound, by the way. Look again, we'll put up the, ver- we'll put up the verse, verse one. It says, is there anyone who's left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? What does he say? For what? For Jonathan's sake. I want to do this for Jonathan's sake. Remember Jonathan? Remember, that's David's boy, man, right? Like they were besties, they were best friends. They made, they made covenants with each other. He's like, after I die, I take care of my kids. Okay. It's crazy because you have Saul who's trying to murder David. Saul's son, Jonathan, is like, David, you're supposed to be the king. I'm making this covenant with you. And David's like, all right, I got your back. Jonathan dies in battle with his dad. There's a guy who hates him. There's a guy who loves him. And then there's a grandson. The question is, is he going to be like Saul? Or is he going to be like Jonathan? The question is, is Mephibosheth going to have like the hatred of his grandfather or the love of his dad? Like the question is like, what is he going to, how is he going to respond to David? Now, here's what I love about, again, this, this thought. It's David saying, because of your dad's sake, for Jonathan's sake, for Jonathan's sake, I want to show kindness and love. For Jonathan's sake, I made a covenant with him. Because of what Jonathan has done, our bond, our covenant, it's going to be given to you. And there's this beautiful thing of, I want to take everything I had with Jonathan and impute it over to his son. I want to take everything I've had and give it over. I want to take it from his account back to now your account. Whatever Jonathan had, whatever Saul, your dad had, this land, this inheritance, I want to give it back to you. I want to give it to you. What he's saying is because of Jonathan in our relationship, you're going to get this. Because of being under Jonathan, in Jonathan, he now gets all the blessings. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. That if anyone is in Christ, you're in Christ, you're a new creation. If you're in Christ, you have an inheritance. If you're in Christ, you are your son. If you're in Christ, we are blessed because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. For Jonathan's sake, for Jesus' sake, I get the love of God. For Jonathan's sake, he got the love of of David, the king. For Jesus' sake, we get the love of our God, of our King. It's like, because of what Jesus has done, I get the love of, the, of God. It's because of what he did. And we have to see this. I love Arthur W. Pink, A.W. Pink. He said this. Um, and it's gonna be a little bit old school, you know, kind of King James-esque. He says, thus... Thus, the one here who obtained kindness at the hands of the king received favor, not because of anything he had done, nor because of any personal worthiness he possessed, but wholly on account of a covenant promise which had been made before he was born. So it is with those toward whom God now acts in free and sovereign grace. It is not because of any personal claims they have upon him, but because of the love he bears toward the mediator, that he shows kindness. Because of our mediator, because of our Jesus, our greater than Jonathan, we now get to experience this favor from God. We now get the favor and goodness and kindness because of Jonathan's sake, because of Jesus' sake. This is what you and I are under. So he's like, who can I bless for Jonathan's sake? And it's God going, if you're in Christ, if you're in Jesus... There is a whole new name. There's a whole new family. There's a whole new inheritance. There's. So, I want to bless you. And I love this. Again, so the principle is this. This love that is poured out comes from the outside, not from the inside. This love that is given is given freely, not because of works, but because there's a God who honors covenants. There's a the love that's given freely because it's not because of you are good or I'm good. Like God's like, you're, you're so good. I'm going to love you now. Now that you're good, I'll love you. It's I'm going to love you. I'm just going to lavish my love on you. I have no idea how you respond. I'm just going to lavish my love on you. And what does that do? And now, so that's the first thing. This principle of just love is given from the outside. Love for someone else's sake. Love for Jonathan's sake, given. Now we're going to look at the pattern. Like, what does he do? How does he actually bless him? How does he actually love him? So let's see, how does David actually bless him? Look at verse five. We'll just read it. Verse five. I love this. Uh, He says, then the King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Emilio at Lodabar. that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. It was David, obviously, and this is clear, I, know, I just want to make sure you know this, I know you know this, but David initiated. David, in verse five, the phrase, David sent and brought him out of the house. David sent and brought him out of the house. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna pluck you out. I'm gonna call for you. Hey, John, Mephibosheth, he's like, in a sense, just initiating this love. Hey, why do we love God? Because he first loved us, God's always the initiator. No one's ever loved. No one's loved God first. No one's like, oh, I beat God to it. Loved Him way before He loved me. Like, nope. Haven't done that. Sorry. We love because He first loved. When He was at Makir's house, the word Makir. He's at sold. It's interesting. You can look at like this history of that, but just being sold. It's almost as if maybe He's been sold to Makir. Maybe He's a slave. There's kind of speculation around this, but there's a lot of people that think that that Mephibosheth was sold to this guy. He's at Makir's house. Might be a phrase for just saying he was sold into this. But it says this in Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like while we were still enemies, while we were still far, God's like, I'm gonna go to you and get you out of that house. I'm gonna call you out of that lifestyle into something else. Like right away, it says in verse five, he went to him. He brought him out of that house. Like, I'm gonna go to you. This always brings me so much hope that God's like, I'm the one pursuing you. I'm the one who's gonna call you out. Doesn't matter if you've been sold over to sin doesn't matter if you been sold over to a lifestyle. I'm coming for you. My love is a love that pursues. I mean, the Bible obviously is just showing a pursuit type of love always. Whether it's Hosea and Gomer, we just always see this idea of God's love. Like, I'm pursuing you. I'm coming after you. Then it says in verse 6, so he calls him, and then it says, what does it say? He, he falls on his face. Actually, I want to read it again so you can see it. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and paid homage. And then David says, Mephibosheth. I want you to think about this. Mephibosheth has no idea what David's going to do. Why is this guy calling me? Like, why is he calling me? What is he? He's going to murder me? That would be your thought. This guy's going to kill me. I'm the grandson of Saul. He's like archenemy. This guy has to like have it out for me. And he falls on his face, prostrate. But here's what's so cool. Nothing said yet by Mephibosheth, right? Here's what happens. David breaks the silence and just says his name. And I want us to see that it's God who breaks that silence. There was a sense of me, I think, as a younger, just when you're a kid kind of growing up in or around the church, you're like, there's fear, like how does God think or view me? Like there's fear, there's a sense of there's no way. Like, I don't know how God views me. May, I was, there's a lot of fear, unhealthy biblical fear in my life, biblical, unhealthy fear that wasn't biblical in my life. There was an, an unhealthy fear. And I think that we need to see God in this light of God breaks the silence. God's like, and it's all he says, all David says is his name, right? He just says Mephibosheth. And I don't, I don't think it's obviously with anger, I don't think it was like, Mephibosheth? Mm-hmm. Like, it definitely wasn't that, right? Because he's about to bless him. It's just this beautiful Mephibosheth. Can I tell you in scriptures, it's, there's so many occasions where you see God himself speaking to someone and saying their name, like he goes, Moses, Moses, in Exodus 3. You see Mary in the garden, and Jesus just says, Mary? She goes, Rabboni. Usually when God says someone's name, there's a turning point that happens. When God speaks someone's name, wherever you might read it, if he calls them out by name, it's like, Something's about to happen. God is calling, David is calling Mephibosheth by name. And I really just think it just points to where God is like, I I see you. I know you. Galatians 4, 9, listen to this. Just so beautiful to me. Galatians 4, verse 9 says, But now after you have known God, or rather known by God, he kind of corrects himself. Sometimes, again, we think, I know God. But notice, God knows you. You are known by God. It's God saying, I'm going to call your name. It's John ten three, where it says, Jesus calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. There's just something about God saying your name. Whatever that is. <laughs> I think about that like alone, just going, hey, Josiah. Hey, David, Sarah. When you, God says your name, there's something so beautiful, like yes. There's usually God says a name because he's like trying to get our attention, there's some turning point about to happen. But the beautiful thing is, God's like, I know you. I see you. It's not that you know me. I know you. We're known by God, and I know your name. And I am calling you out of something into something else. And God usually says our name to be like, I want to call you out of one thing into something else Moses, Jeremiah, Mary. God's like saying our name because He's calling us in. I have, I have something for you, I have something in store for you. It is such a beautiful thing to know that God knows your name. Do you know that God knows you personally? You know, it's, it's hard. Knowing names is hard, right? If we, Come on. It's hard to know. Hey! <laughs> yeah! It's hard. I just love God's like, hey, and says your name. I see, I see you. I know your name. I love you. You're mine. I'm calling you out of something. I'm calling you into something. And there's something about God knowing your name that is so beautiful. Just one word, Mephibosheth. And he falls to face, hey, I'm, I'm one of your hired servants. Like, come on. Like, he's just like, I'll be your servant. He's like, I oh, don't get it. I think there's sometimes this fear that we have that's just, it's not from the Lord. I think we'd need to have a healthy biblical fear of God, absolutely. But I think sometimes we, we have this a fear that you're like, ah, do you not know that God calls your name because he's calling you to something. He just simply says, Mephibosheth. And I love this. He just says, here's your servant, <laughs> right? He, David breaks the silence. He goes, I'm your servant, I'm here. I'm gonna serve you, don't kill me. You know, this just reminds me so much of the prodigal son story in so many ways. Now it's kind of flipped a little bit reversed, but here's why: it's like this, this prodigal son who goes out and he, he lives a crazy lifestyle, and you can use your imagination. And then when he says he starts having self talk. He says, "You know what? I had it better in my my dad's house. I had it way much. I had it way better." Maybe I'll just go back to him, and he starts rehearsing this speech. I'll just go back to him and say, hey, can I just be one of your hired servants? Like, can you just take me back? And I love this because he's actually having this, like, talk in his mind, like, maybe he'll take me back. And as he's speaking to his dad, his dad interrupts him before he can say, let me be one of your hired servants. And he says, let's throw the party! Like, before he can say, let me be a hired servant, I think we have the verse here, Luke 15. He says, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he's actually saying this speech. He says the first part, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Before he can say, make me like one of your father's like, let's throw a party. My son's returned. And I love this because he's like, I, I want to be a servant. David's like, ah, stop that. And that's nonsense. You're welcome. Welcome to the family. Come on. And I, this is just so beautiful. He can't even finish his like thought really. David's like, in verse seven, just we see this again, this pattern of love. It just poured out on him. He had no clue what he's about to receive. No clue. You could say he deserved judgment. You could say this is what everyone did. All the kings in their day, they just poured out judgment upon their enemies. But not this king. Not this king. He doesn't pour out judgment. He pours out abundant grace, abundant mercy. He's like, I'm just gonna lavish on him. Let's read verse seven again so you can see what he does. David said to him, like after he said, I'm your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. <laughs> I love this, fear not. This is the number one command given by God in the Bible. Maybe you know that, maybe you heard that. The number one imperative given is always do not fear, fear not. That's mentioned over 365 times. Don't fear, fear not. David's like, hey, don't fear. You want to hear that, by the way, right? You want to hear that from someone who might take your life. Like you want to hear that from someone who's like, oh, uh, he could do this. He goes, fear not, fear not. I'm going to show you said, because of your father, Jonathan, because of what he did for you, because of what he did. I'm going to show you this kind of unique love. I'm going to restore to you your land, your inheritance. I'm going to give you that inheritance. I'm giving you that. I'll put it up here this way. Um, fear not, meet his mental needs. I will show you kindness, his emotional needs. I will restore all your land, his physical needs. You will eat with me continually. It's all three in one. It's all physical, mental, emotional. You're going to eat with me. You're safe. You're safe here. You're going to eat with me. Always, always you're going to eat with me. Always. What? Not just my land. I love this because remember the direction he gives to Zeba? He's like, Zeba, now you, he's going to get some land and he's gonna, you're going to take care of the land for him and you're going to provide food, but he's not even going to need that food because he's going to at my table always. Like, what? It's just way more, way more above anything Mephibosheth could have asked, dreamed, or imagined. It's like that kind of love. Like, this love makes no sense. This is a love that met my emotional needs, my physical needs, like my mental health needs, like all of it. Yes. So you see that God's love can meet all of your needs? We, I think at different points in time, like f- emphasize different kind of needs in our generation. We're like, like we have mental health needs and I get, like, I get it that we do. And can I say this? <laughs> like, God's like, I can meet those needs. I can meet those needs. I can meet your emotional health needs. I can meet your physical needs. You're gonna eat with me always. I can meet all of them. Well, just come, on, come on over. There's, there's safety in my palace. I'm gonna meet all of your needs. You can have all of them. God is so good to say, I'm just gonna meet all of our needs. And I look at verse eight. What does he respond? This is what's interesting. Maybe you like, this is weird. He responds in verse 8, Mephibosheth, says, what is your servant that you should look upon me, or look upon me such as a dead dog as I? He's like, what? Why would you show me this as a dead dog as I? You're like, that seems pretty intense, like dead dog. Like, he's trying to use language, like, I have no idea how to express this. Like, what's the dirtiest thing or whatever that like, just eats the crumbs of the table? Like, I have no idea how to express myself. Why would you care about me? Like, I'm just a dead dog. And now he's using this language because, like, when you've experienced the goodness of God, basically what happens, you go, woe is me. There's just something about this that always happens biblically. No one has ever like, experienced the love of God and been like, yes, finally, this is what I've deserved my whole life. Like No one gets the love of God and is like, it's about time, God. That's not the way you respond. When the love of God is poured out on you, you just go, woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of people of unclean lips. Or it's, it's Job in Job 42, verse 5. He's like, I've heard about you, God, by the, by the hearing of the ear, but now that my eye sees you, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. That's Job's response. Isaiah, you just see this constantly. It's Peter realizing Jesus is Lord on the boat. And he goes, depart, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. It's like anyone and everyone who's experienced the goodness of God. The only way you can respond is, uh, why Why me? Why me? Answer, Jonathan's sake, Jesus' sake. Because you're in Christ. Because what, what he did for us, we now get all of these benefits. There's really no, because he loves us first. We're his. We're son now. He invites us in there's really no reason other than his love. And it's just hitting him. Gosh, God, I've, I've never experienced that kind of goodness before. And I just think this is, this is the only way we can respond. Again, if you've experienced this, I think the only way you can respond at some point is, oh my gosh, God, thank you that you would show me this type of love. I definitely did not deserve it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm selfish. I'm, I'm just constantly have walked away from you. I've constantly denied you in different ways and different capacities. My heart has been so wicked. I've been an enemy of you, but God's like, you're, but my love is a pursuit type of love and I want to lavish it on you. And the only way you can say, wow, well, why would you consider me? why would you consider me? And then God's like, let me just talk to you more and bless you more. And that's what he does. So you, I love this because you just see the, the pattern of love meeting all the sorts of needs there is. And then moving on, we see obviously what this speaks of, this, this portrait of love. So let's keep going. I just want to read actually one verse. We read the whole thing, but if you look in verse 11, it's, this is David speaking. He says, as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. What? This is not just, you know what? I feel bad. Because, you know, in some ways you could have been king, right? Because a lot of times the kings come from bloodlines. So, you know what? I feel bad, Mephibosheth. Let me just give you some land. It's not just that. He's saying, you know what, Mephibosheth? I actually want to invite you into a relationship with me. You can come on in the palace always. And you're going to eat and sit at the table like one of my sons. That's unbelievable. It's not just, I need to do some good. Like, what if David's like, oh, Mephibosheth, I'm so sorry. Here's some crutches. Um, Good luck, man. Like, what if it's just that, right? This is so much more than just bare minimum love. This is like, come on in. Sit with me. Eat with me. You're actually going to be treated like one of my sons. I mean, how is this not the gospel? How is this not a portrait of us? Of God saying, I'm going to lavish my love on you, even when you are a fugitive running from me. Even when you're at odds with me, you're an enemy of mine. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to pour out my love upon you. I'm going to give you a seat at the table, and I'm going to call you son. I mean, this is the gospel. This is John 1, 12. As many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to be called sons of God, to those who believed in his name. As many as received him, he said, you're now my son. Because you, be- you received me, you believed on me, you're now your son. And this idea of sit at my table, continually be like one of my kids. I love Galatians because Galatians, the book was basically saying, you are adopted into the family of God. That you have an inheritance just like a son would have an inheritance. You have that inheritance. That, that I'm going to give you more than you can ask, dream, or imagine. That, this is the response of Ephesians. Ephesians going, I'm dead in my sins. He says, I'm a dead dog. And what does it say? Even though we are dead in our sins, he blessed us with immeasurable riches of his grace. Ephesians 2 verse 4. Let me just read this. This is so beautiful. It says, but God, after him saying verse one through three, I'm a sinner, I'm dead in my sin. You're far from God. You have no right to ever be with God essentially, but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, like him, I'm a dead dog. Even when we're dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen to this part, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I can't, f- in the ages to come, he's gonna be pouring out grace on us. Like, what's I just feel like there's going to be things in store, like, I don't know, after maybe one, you know, eternity. Like, okay, new stage of flow of grace and goodness. Like, just in the ages to come, he's going to continue to pour out his kindness and goodness. It does not stop at this one-time thing. But I want you to hear this. Even when we were dead, even when we were far from God, even when we were that dead dog as I, why would you consider me? Because of his grace, he saved us. He wanted to show his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Because, again, of Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus did. Because of who Jesus is, I get to experience this lavish grace and love poured on us. We do. This riches it speaks about. This riches of his grace and kindness. I mean, this is exactly what Mephibosheth, this riches of grace and kindness being poured out him, and it just ends with him eating at his table. It just ends with him sitting at a table always, having the open door policy, like a son, come on in, eat at my table. Do we understand that this, again, I don't know if I fully grasp this. The God of the universe says you can be a son. Now, again, if you're a daughter, if you're a woman, that's a beautiful way of saying back in this time period, you have access to everything. You have all the inheritance. Everything is yours. If I'm the bride of Christ, you can be a son of God. All right. But that beautiful idea of you are now a son, that you're invited in. Listen, God says you can be part of the family. You can sit at the table and eat with me. You guys know this is what I talk about all the time. I love it. I love that we're always invited to like eat with Jesus. Come in, I'll dine with you and you eat with me. Like, I love that. Revelation in heaven. Like, come on, let's eat a meal with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, sounds great. I just love this idea of like, come on, I will have a relationship with you. I will eat with you. You'll be a son. You'll have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled. You'll have an inheritance that will not, here the inheritance can corrupt and fade away. Not in heaven. You have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. That lasts forever. Our inheritance is is really just even Jesus, by the way. We get to have a relationship. We get to have Jesus. It's not just in heaven we get these things and the, the streets of gold and some food, great stuff. But we get Jesus. We get Jesus. We're part of the family. We're brought in. I want to just throw a few of these things up here so you can see this story because maybe you'll get this. And I love this because there's something about scriptures like I've heard one commentator said like our eyes must be anointed to the details or something. And I love that. Here's what, here's a few details. Uh, Mephibosheth was crippled by a fall. Let's just put these up here. Mephibosheth was crippled by a fall. Is that not us? Because of the fall, because of the garden, we're now lame. <laughs> Mephibosheth was shown kindness and grace for Jonathan's sake. As King David sought Mephibosheth who was hiding we were hiding and sought out by Jesus Christ, the king of kings. David sought Mephibosheth and drew him to himself. As Mephibosheth humbled himself before the king, the sinner must humble himself before God. As Mephibosheth's land and inheritance was restored, the saved sinner is given an inheritance. Listen to these phrases, I will provide for you. He essentially says, I will protect you. You'll sit at my my table. I'll give you security. You will be like a son. I mean, this is just the gospel. It's just, how is this not? I'm inviting you into my palace. I'm inviting you to eat with me. I'm making you like a son. You who are an enemy of mine. You who are hiding from me. I'm, I'm pursuing you, chasing you, and bringing you in. Thank you, Jesus, that though I was an enemy, hiding, running, fugitive, he pursued and pursued. until so you say, okay, okay I not give in. Like I can't, I can't run from this love and kindness and goodness. I, I thought I had this fear of you that you just want to punish me, you mean, cruel God. And in fact, in reality, you call me by name so you can bless me. You call me by name so you can give me a new inheritance. You call me by name so you can make me a son. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is not, how is this anything else but the gospel? I have to read this. Tim Keller said this at the very end. Guys, you can put it up, the very last one. He says, Mephibosheth didn't deserve all of this, but Jonathan did. Jonathan's work is imputed to Mephibosheth. He says, and he comes into the king's presence, to the king's table. You and I don't deserve any of this. But for the sake of what Jesus Christ has done, it's imputed to us. So Paul can say, I want to be found in him, in Jesus Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that's through faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I just want to be found in him. Like, because of Jonathan's Because because I just want to be in Jesus. In Jesus, I have everything else imputed over to me. In Jesus, everything else has been transferred over from his account to my account. From Saul's account or Jonathan's account to now Mephibosheth's account. In Jesus, his inheritance, what he did, his righteousness now given over to my account. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you because of what you did. I get to benefit. Because of your work, I get to benefit from it. We benefit so often from someone else's work. That's the idea. It's like, yes, that's Jesus. That's Jonathan and Mephibosheth. That's us. We benefit now from this work. Here's a simple way to break down this text uh, to me in some ways. Don't be afraid. Eat at my table, be like a son. This is what he says to them. Don't be afraid, fear not. Eat at my table, be like a son. This is the gospel. Don't be afraid, fear not. Come on, eat at my table. You're now a son. If you believe Jesus and receive him and call upon him, as many as receive him to them, he gave the right to be called children of God believe on Jesus, receive Jesus, be in Jesus. Watch his righteousness be given over to you. Watch his inheritance be given over to you. You say, wow, Jesus, because of what you did, I now get to experience the benefits of that. Yes, absolutely. You too can be a son sitting at the table, eating with God always, continually. Those phrases, it just speaks of eternity, always, continually he'll eat at my table. That is what God says to us. You will be with me forever and always. Yes? Amen. Can we just say thank you, Jesus? Can you just take a second, bow your head, actually, close your eyes, and just, I want there just to be a second where you say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that though I was lame, though that I was far from you, though a fall ruined my life, I can now be a son. I can now be brought in. I just want you to pray for a second. Just thank Jesus. Praise him. Thank him. God, I am Mephibosheth. You are that king that lavished your love on me. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray, and we're just going to invite the worship team to worship. Father, we thank you. There's no other response, I think, than other than, who are we? God, that you would do this for us. God, that though we were dead in our sin, you have made us alive. That, God, you do something more, more than I could think. I'm not just given something. I'm given a relationship. I can dine always. We can come in always. We can have this relationship always with you. Thank you. God, just thank you. Thank you that throughout the word of God. You're constantly trying to show us that we are lame and weak and we're enemies and yet you pursue and you're good and you're loving and you want deep relationship because of your love, because of your said, because of your covenantal love with us. You pursued, you poured out your kindness and we just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the inheritance we have in you. Thank you for your kindness you showed on us. God, I just ask that you would speak and move in hearts for those who still feel like this is theory that maybe they haven't experienced this love, that they haven't experienced this deep type of relationship or intimacy where they can come in and dine with you, where they feel like they, you know them by name. I ask that today, that they would sense, God, that you call them out by name, not with anger, but with love, with a sense to just bless. So God, speak their name over them right now. Let them hear their name, that you say, I love you. God, that they receive that, that we'd walk in that, we'd be transformed by that. We just want to praise you, Jesus, and thank you. There is no one like you. As we sung and as we sing again, we all hail King Jesus. You are the true king. You're the better than David. You are what our hearts look for and long for. We just say thank you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and worship.